The heat in Los Angeles really is unbearable. It's worse in the valley. It's not just the height of the thermometers either. The dry air and incessant frying of solar rays onto your skin makes the thought of even stepping outside churn one's stomach. The other thing is that it lasts forever. It starts getting hot near the end of April and it just rages until late October. People walk past front yards already lined with pumpkins and orange and black string lights still reeking of that SoCal mix of perspiration and SPF 80. The funny thing is, the merciless heat of the Southland almost always stops at exactly the same time. Halloween night. About a month before Halloween, Herman Wilkes was driving home from a long day at the print shop when his car's air conditioner abdicated its duties. Print shops have weird hours, so he was stuck on the 405 around 2 p.m. when this happened, meaning he was dead to rights in his hatchback, a sitting duck to that big ball of hydrogen atoms in the sky. Herman survived the ride and arrived home, albeit with lobster red forearms and a massive dehydration headache. When he entered the apartment, he went right to one of his four full-size top-entry freezers, opened that sucker up, and leaned his entire torso inside. For about five minutes, he just let his body temperature get a little closer to 98, and once he was feeling better, he closed the freezer, pushed onto the lid to make sure it was secure, and took a shower. Following this, he hopped into bed, thumbed through a few pages of James Clear's Atomic Habits, and drifted off to sleep. Herman often slept clean through the night. It's been said in some circles that this is a trait common to sociopaths. See, there's a reason that Herman has four freezers in his cramped San Fernando Valley studio apartment. There's also an explanation as to why he opened that one in particular. The other three were full. Herman had silenced about eight people's heartbeats during his lifetime, all of them in the last three months. After 43 years of life, which included his father's very premature death, a failed marriage, some spells of homelessness, and more than his fair share of undiagnosed mental illnesses, his ability to exist peacefully and properly in society was kaput. It took him longer than most, but he finally got a hold of this whole life thing, at least enough to figure out how to hold down a job, secure a place to live, and of course, how to target the right victims so there'd be no trace once they went missing. Herman found that elderly widows who lived alone were the best fit. The next morning, Herman awoke early, took his shower, ingested his hard-boiled eggs, and laced down his worn-out Oxfords. Then he pushed on the lids of every freezer to make sure they were closed and made his way out to the print shop. He once more braved the brutal sun without any air conditioning. Yes, even at 5.30 in the morning, the heat was relentless. In fact, the morning radio show even spoke of how there'd be a string of heat waves all the way up until Halloween, much to the chagrin of this driver and everyone else in the valley. The traffic was horrendous, per usual. Had he been a man with any form of practical empathy, Herman might have used this time to think about the frightful things he had done. Of course, he had none of that left, so instead, he just let his mind drift off into the thoughts of what he might pick up for dinner on his way home. It was Taco Tuesday, after all. He thought not once of the first time he had killed someone. That day was much, much cooler than today. Three Aprils ago, Herman was driving up and down Wentworth Street in the Sunland area. If you asked him what he was doing there, he couldn't tell you. He just felt like cruising. This area had a lot of older residents, retirees, pensioners, etc. 
These folk were very friendly, and almost all of them enjoyed being outside. Whether that meant watering their plants, decorating their yards, or just sitting on the porch enjoying a cup of hot cider. Herman went ahead and parked his car on a side street, and after making sure that these homes had a back alley entrance point, he decided to take a nice stroll up and down this particular block. Herman very much enjoyed waving to the old folks, saying good afternoon, and engaging in stupid small talk about the weather and such. One particular woman, Sally Mayfield, was so taken with the charming man that she even invited him inside for her special ruby red punch. Obliged, he entered the home, where he learned that Mrs. Mayfield was widowed and thus lived alone. After conversing with her for what felt like hours about a full range of topics from peach pie recipes to interior design trends of the past, Miss Mayfield stood up to wash the punch glasses. While she soaped the spit off the cups, Herman fixated on her oh-so-frail frame. As silently as he could, he approached the elder and threw his entire arm around that brittle neck, compressing his bot bone against her larynx until it never needed to make a sound again. There was almost no struggle, which Herman might admit was a bit disappointing. He would later learn that the larynx creates sound, so if he did want to hear screaming or even fainting cries for help, he would perhaps have to choke the next person a little further down their neck. Herman also choked Mrs. Mayfield with such a bruising force that he broke her osteoporosis-afflicted neck almost immediately, and thus made short work of an act he would have rather savored, at least a little longer. After he realized exactly what he had done, and recovered from the panic attack and euphoria that resulted, he determined that he needed to remove the body from the scene. So he pulled his hatchback into the alley and transferred the tiny, wrinkled corpse into the vehicle. All of this was done under the cover of darkness, of course. Since Herman had to wait for the sun to fall, he went ahead and fixed himself a nice dinner in Mrs. Mayfield's kitchen to pass the time. Even wrestling a 90-pound octogeranian can burn a significant amount of calories, after all. Herman took the body to his home and was faced with the impediment of having to drag a human-shaped mess of bedsheets into his apartment elevator and make it all the way up to his 8th floor pad. Fortunately, it was very late, and no one was awake to disrupt this process. Once he made it to his apartment, he locked the door behind him because he was so exhausted, and he decided to just lie on the ground and catch up on an hour or two of missed sleep right then and there. Yes, right next to Miss Mayfield's decomposing body. He awoke in time to get ready for work, and after a quick Google search to make sure that no smell would begin in a decaying corpse until about 20 days or so, he bid adieu to his first victim and went ahead and put in his eight hours. After his shift, he dropped by a local hardware store to pick up some supplies. Then, as Miss Mayfield's body continued to rot in his apartment, he went back to her house to bleach the DNA off the surfaces. Herman then came back to his place, laid out a few tarps, and began sawing the far-too-welcoming old lady into much more manageable pieces. This was rather difficult, because the rigor mortis had yet to completely dissipate, but he got the job done. Once she was transformed into about 5-10 to 10 pieces of flesh, he vowed that the next time he would certainly do this step before he transferred the body up 8 floors. Yes, even before he had completed his first murder-slash-storage, he knew there would be a next time. All that was left to do was to dispose of Mrs. Mayfield's pieces, which was another headache. He thought about burying them, in different spots of course, tossing them in rivers slash oceans, or maybe just throwing them somewhere a pack of mountain lions or coyotes might come pick them clean. He wouldn't admit it, but he even thought about just eating her himself. However, he then thought about the process of preparing the meat and having a hunter for a stepdad, he knew just how tedious that would be. That's when he had the brain blast. 
The next day, he headed to an appliance retailer and purchased his first industrial-grade freezer. And after the shady salesman conveniently left out the fact that old apartment power grids were not well-suited to host major appliances like these, he scheduled the delivery and installation. Herman very much enjoyed this solution. Not only was it safe, as in no stupid dogs or hikers could come upon the remains, nor could they wash up on the shore, but now he would get to keep Mrs. Mayfield with him always. She had been the impetus into this next stage of his life, and he did not want to part ways just yet. The only thing now was that she would be so terribly lonely in that freezer. Surely she would need a few friends. The heat wave didn't interrupt Herman's daily routine of eating his lunch outside by himself. He sat on the bench under the tree utilizing all the shade he could get as his lower back sweat etched a stain into his white button-up shirts. One thing he always did during lunch was watch busy traffic on the street where his building was located. It was usually much less congested during lunchtime, but that only meant that the cars would speed by much faster than the posted limits. It should be clear by now that Herman never thought much about the consequences before taking action, and today would be no exception. He stood up and took his sandwich down the sidewalk to get a better look at the speedway that was Venice Boulevard. The feeling of wind rushing against his skin as a car throttled by was sublime, but when a large pickup or SUV did it, it was pure bliss. Then a big rig approached, and Herman could not help but get right up against where the pavement met the tarmac. The truck refused to slow down, and instead it just sounded its egregious horn as it passed the madman filling his mind with the kind of ecstasy he could only experience when feeling a human's blood slowly stop pumping. He waited and waited for another 18-wheeler to show up, and it was taking so long he was afraid his lunch hour would run out. However, right when he was about to take his final bite of his egg salad sandwich, a massive semi appeared. This white monster had a vicious square grill, and the operator had an apparent need for speed. Before he could fully comprehend the act, Herman swallowed the last bite and ever so gently hopped into its path, blasting himself all over the road and sidewalk in pieces so small that anyone who ever wanted to transport them into their apartment freezers would have no problem whatsoever. Eight people Herman had killed were still safely inside the freezers in his apartment, ripe for the LAPD's picking. Unfortunately, because of the way in which his life ended, identifying his body was going to take a lot longer than they'd hoped. Had he been found under any other circumstance, they may have been able to search his residence immediately, find the bodies, give the families closure, and most importantly, avoid what was going to happen next. After the coroners had scraped up every last bit of Herman's flesh, much of which had literally fried on the red-hot sidewalk pavement, something terrible happened back at his apartment. Herman's electrical needs were already an obscene strain on the complex's power grid, but with this merciless heat wave, everyone had their own air conditioners blasting. Herman naturally had no concept of how energy was used or transferred, nor did he understand the concept of thermodynamics and entropy, and how hard an appliance had to work to create extreme cold, as in the case of his freezers. 
Had he known this, he might have had the presence of mind to find a workaround before the freezers were overloaded from a surge, because that's exactly what happened. As morgue workers did their very best to piece together the identity of Herman, all eight of his victims in his eighth floor apartment were now victims to those same cursed hydrogen atoms that were tormenting all of those millions of Angelinos, except because they were on a higher floor of the apartment, and as Entropy tells us again, heat always rises, the bodies in Herman's apartment had it much worse. In the weeks that followed, the sun only grew angrier, and the normally quiet neighbors resorted to knocking on Herman's door to politely inquire about that horrid smell coming from his living quarters. When he didn't answer, they let it go. Most knew him as an odd dude, and they figured he was doing something weird that would resolve itself soon enough. Of course, it didn't. The smell became worse and worse as the neighbor's tolerance grew thinner and thinner. It was now Halloween night, and perhaps for the first time ever, and in spite of the commonly held belief, the weather had yet to cool off. For weeks, Herman's apartment had been filling the 8th floor hallway with fumes that resembled either rotten cheese or accumulated feces, so the neighbors had collectively decided that they would get in contact with the property manager. They tabled that action for the morning as they got their children ready to trick-or-treat, and left the building, elated to escape the pungent odors of Herman's corpses. As the hordes formed along the street of the apartment complex, Herman's adjacent neighbor's apartment just so happened to start smoking. As it turned out, the renter had left a spooky candle lit by the window adjacent to the busy street in an effort to be festive, but he had done so a little too close to the curtains. This would have been innocent enough were it not for the unnoticed leak in Herman's space. See, although he was always sure to make his freezer lid shut, he almost never checked the stove. To be fair, he almost never used it outside of boiling water for eggs. Of course, he had made an egg salad sandwich the night before his spontaneous suicide, and after the eggs were sufficiently hardened, he turned the knob insufficiently, thereby letting a teeny bit of natural gas leak. This would have been safely corrected had he not thrown himself in front of a speeding semi-trailer, but you know what they say about ifs and buts. The gas continued to leak and fill his entire apartment, as the bodies continued to rot, and once enough of the flames from his neighbor's candle fire penetrated those paper-thin San Fernando Valley apartment walls, well, chemistry took over. The explosion was certainly noticeable and frightening, but that's not what people remembered. While drywall, glass, and other construction materials shot out of Herman's apartment and onto the streets filled with children and families trying to enjoy another spooky night of candy and thrills, there were other projectiles as well. That Halloween night, right on the part of Reseda that met Tarzana, wrinkly wrists, feet, knees, lower jaws, femurs, and full human heads rained down on the public. There was no shortage of children who instinctively pulled rotting flesh out of their candy-packed bucket to the mortification of their parents. Someone was even knocked unconscious by poor Mrs. Mayfield's skull, which regrettably had neither teeth nor eyes at this point. For what seemed like forever, human meat continued to fall onto the bystanders who hadn't had a clue what was happening. They just screamed and screamed until they couldn't scream anymore. Eventually, police and firefighters arrived and sorted everything out. Herman's clean cuts made those bodies much easier to identify, even with a few weeks of rot in them. The detectives were very appreciative of his sterile methods. 
They soon connected the dots and managed to put his identity to the body eviscerated by the big rig, and the entire case was able to be closed and filed away. Almost no one remembers Herman or what he did. There's no excitement in a serial killer when no one gets to actually see him and draw their hasty conclusions on the sociopath. And, as sad as it may sound, the lonely victims didn't have many to mourn them. However, it can safely be said that anyone who was around the valley during that time will forever tell the story of the South Reseda meat shower. That was the South Reseda meat shower, written and produced by me, Josh Ramirez, and read by Zach Morris, the man behind the infinitely entertaining and informative horror YouTube channel, CZ's World. Make sure you check that out and subscribe if you aren't already. We'll put links in the info. So we got two more scary stories coming for October. Then we're going to end season one with Other People's Money, a five-part story about a gambler going broke for the last time and potentially having to go back to the real world. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Company Time, to see all the artwork. Follow the Wattpad to read these stories. And check out my book, Angie's Move, which is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon. All the links in the info as well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Monday.